Hi, I'm Dave Jackson. Welcome to another JPR Live session where we get to know artists we admire and hear intimate live performances recorded in the JPR Steve Nelson Performance Studio on the campus of Southern Oregon University. With me today is a singer-songwriter from the Roseburg area. Melissa Ruth just released a new album, Bones. You've likely heard it recently on Open Air. She's joined by her husband, Johnny Leal, who plays guitar. In addition to playing music, Melissa is a music educator. Melissa Ruth, Johnny Leal, welcome to JPR. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you for having us. You have an interesting background that I want to talk to you about a little later, and I want to talk about your work as a music educator. But first, you just released an album. Tell us about making that album. Where did where did the songs come from? How did you put it together? Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, we um, these are really a collection of songs that kind of span the ages. Some uh, some of the songs on the album are some of the oldest that I've written, mm. and some are the very newest. Um, the older tunes were tunes that I just never found a, a place for on the other records that I made preceding this one. Um, for whatever reason, they just didn't, they, they weren't ready. And uh, so so this collection of songs is very much uh, an intimate collection of songs. A lot of them are, are my story as opposed to, you know, the narrator's stories that I kind of create or created for the other projects. So it, it's different in those ways, um, but we're really excited about it. It yeah. kind of gives me a real sense of place about the rural Pacific Northwest. And you started in British Columbia. We'll get into that a little later, but I sure. moved to Southern Oregon. So, um, so one of the songs on Bones, uh, Edith Piaf, she was a popular 20th century singer from France. And I think I read she was an inspiration for you. How did, uh, how did you get to know her work? Yeah, um, I my parents had a vinyl record collection uh, that found its way into my bedroom when I was about 13 years old. And they had one of those uh, record players that kind of looked like a lunchbox, you know, that you flip open and the, the speakers are on either side when you open it. And um, that record uh, of Edith Piaf's that they had, one of her greatest hits albums, uh, boy, I just listened to that album on repeat for a, a solid year. And um, I just found her her voice and her story to be so compelling. It, it really wove into my, I guess, kid brain subconscious at a really young age. Well, if you're just joining us, uh, you're listening to a JPR Live session with singer-songwriter Melissa Ruth. Why don't you start us off with a song? What do you guys want to play? Sure. Um, I think we'll start off with a tune called Poor Man's Daughter. Okay, set us up for this song a little bit. Yeah. Well, um, I think it's, you know, kind of says it in the title. Um, I think that, you know, just like the other songs on the, on the album, this one is uh, pretty close to home. This is Poor Man's Daughter. It's Melissa Ruth in a JPR live session. whiskey I loved a married man he loved the intrigue if none of it killed me why don't I feel stronger I feel just as I am poor man's daughter 
said, get an education just as fast as you can. But even with that ticket, mom, I'm still just pulling chain for some man. Cause no piece of paper will ever get me far from being just another poor man's daughter. Just weak at heart I was not just weak of mind I was only ever shown A rough and winding road But no place to go About living on the edge I'm just out here trying to get by Before I'm dead So I work and pray Every day, every day harder Cause I am A poor man's daughter You're listening to a JPR live session with Melissa Ruth. That was Poor Man's Daughters, a song from her new album, Bones. You can find her music, merchandise, tour info, and more at melissaruthmusic.com. You recorded that album yourself, or you and Johnny did, is that correct? Uh, no, we we um, we worked with Don Ross, who is a recording engineer in um, Eugene. And he actually... Um, he has been our sound engineer on all of our projects and a project actually that I produced for a band called the slow ponies as well. So we have, uh, we love working with Don. He's, he's, he's magical. <laughs> and you and Johnny have been making music together for quite a while. How did you guys uh, meet up and start working together and, and joining your lives together and all that? Well, um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> we met at the uh, Humboldt State University campus. Um, we were both studying music education there. And it's, uh, it's a really small, it was a really small program. And so we had a lot of classes together and uh, we uh, started playing music together. Um, and then, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, 20 years later, here we are. So... <laughs> So in addition to your music, you guys also play as Midnight Darlings. How, how does that differ from uh, your solo work? Um, well, a lot of the literature is the same, certainly. 
Um, but you know, the, the duo thing has a, has just a, we just approach the music differently. You know, when we're playing with the full band, like for example, the, you know, we play with our band on our release, um, Bones. Uh, and so we get to rock out a little harder and, and kind of take more, um, of an electric approach to it. Lots of solos and, and more of an improv you know, improv vibe. Um, but when it's the duo scene, it's a little quieter. We tend to tell more stories and, uh, you know, kind of sit down and it's a little more intimate, I would say. <laughs> cool. So you grew up in Canada in a community uh, largely of Russian immigrants. How did your family end up there? Well, that's a great question. And I will try to say it in 500 words or less. So <laughs> the group actually, um, they were uh, Dukabor people living in Russia um, uh, in the 1800s, and um, they were pacifists, and they lived uh, communally, and um, that was not particularly uh, favorable to the czar and czarist Russia. And so um, a lot of the Dukabors found themselves at odds with the government, and um, at the urging of Leo Tolstoy, um, a number of uh, Dukabor uh, people, a large number of Dukabor people were um, granted, I guess, asylum or refuge in Canada um, during the mid-1800s uh, to late-1800s. Um, and they, they wound up on the prairies, and those were my dad's people. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's a, a large number of Dukabor uh, folks who live in the prairies and then those that also headed west. I'm not sure about eastern Canada, but I know that there are a lot of um, Dukabor folks or folks of that lineage in western Canada. So what was life like for you in that community? Well, I will say that the community was at this point when I was a kid, it was not particularly insular. So at least where where we lived. Um, but it was, you know, Johnny and I grew up in a similar place, rural west you know, rural West. And so there was the loggers and the hippies, and in my case, also the Dukabors. Um, and so, you know, there was a lot of intersectionality between these various groups. Um, but what was great about it was, you know, we there was always another language that you would hear being spoken. There was always, you know, borscht on the menu at the, you know, restaurant in, quote, town you know um there was just like this this other element um and i love that i mean i grew up around russian language and russian you know and i should say dukabor russian language and culture and food and um they were always had big gardens and you know it was it was uh it was a really cool way to grow up um and it wasn't until i i moved out of um my small little area that I realized like, oh, not everyone grows up like that. So <laughs> I feel pretty lucky. In your bio, I see written, uh, you raised on borscht and Bob Dylan. That Yes. <laughs> uh, so do you have a good borscht recipe you'd like to share with us? Oh we my are, gosh. At JPR, we, are, <laughs> we are foodies. So if you have one, we would, we would probably put it to test. <laughs> well, if I can dream one up, my Baba, she, that's my grandmother, my Baba used to make just the most incredible borscht and I can't come close to it. I'm going to have to ask my auntie for the recipe, I think. I've tried to experiment, but the way they would make it was, you know, um, like certain things would be cooked a certain amount in a certain way. And then later in the recipe, you would cook the same thing, but differently. So it was just like layers of 
complication, which is not so different from the actual people themselves. So, <laughs> like that. So, on, on a more kind of serious note, you, you have a song, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Nashi Eludi. Yeah, close. It's, it yeah. means it means our people. It's it's sort of about some real events that impacted your family. Do you want to tell us a little about that one? Sure. Yeah. Um, so the Jukabor people living out in the prairies when they arrived, you know, I mean, it was it was tough going, but they were making it um, and, uh, you know, able to maintain kind of their pacifist and, and communal lifestyles. Uh, for a while. And then um, there were more and more calls for assimilation um, from, you know, their community and beyond. And so some of the Dukabor folks, they began to assimilate. Some stayed on the communes and some of them decided that they were not interested in assimilating in any way. And so they moved as a group west. And a lot of them wound up in British Columbia, which is where my father's people wound up in a very insular community. Um, they were part of the Sons of Freedom arm of the Duke of War um, religion. And that was a pretty radical group of people at the time. Um, and actually, um, as a result of their, you know, value system, um, a number of the children from that group were actually removed from their homes, forcibly removed from their homes and put into a residential school, um, which is essentially a forced assimilation school. And my dad was one of those children who was removed from his home. Um, and he lived in a residential school for six years of his young life. Um, and he, his first language was Russian. He was home taught. And so it was a very big big culture shock to be put in this place where he essentially didn't ever see his family and was, you know, what residential schools are all about. Right. Um, and I didn't I didn't know really the ins and outs of it when I was a kid. You know, my dad had a great sense of humor and he always said, dad was in kid jail. And I thought, oh, that's funny, dad. Ha ha, kid jail. But when I grew up and I started to read about kid jail, it was like, Dang, it really was just what he said. And so, um, you know, I, I, I could never, I didn't want to write a song about his experience. It, it was not, it's not my experience and I couldn't touch it. wouldn't want to with a 10 foot pole really. Right. But I, but I wrote a song um, about my experience of being his daughter and, and it's called Nashi Ludi, which is our people. And that's a term that a lot of the Dukabar people use as a way of acknowledging kind of who they are and where they came from. So, yeah. And then there's a dichotomy in a couple of the songs on Bones that uh, deal with the environment. One of them seems like Wild Roses um, kind of seems to be from the standpoint of the land and the environment. And then on the flip side, Loggers Lament, someone who's been displaced and out of work because of changes to what we're able to do in the environment. How did, am I reading that right? Exactly, yeah. exactly right, yeah. Yeah, well, I think also, you know, as being a lifelong resident of the Western part of this continent, um, you know, we're so dependent on natural resources and everybody's got an opinion about how we need to approach it. Um, and so I wanted to explore that a little bit, you know, various perspectives on the on the 
issues. Being in rural Southern Oregon, you've experienced that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, how about another song? What would you like to play? Sure. Um, well, I think, you know, taking that cue, um, I think we're going to play Logger's Lament. And uh, this song was inspired by a book um, by Robert Leo Heilman, who is a Douglas County author. He wrote Overstory Zero, Real Life in Timber Country. And I, like so many West West Coasters, had a had a pretty rock solid opinion about real life in timber country. And then I had the opportunity to read this book and it it allowed me to have my head spin around a few times and um, it inspired this song. So it's called Logger's Lament. The old mills are shut down, log decks are gone. The old man is raving about the Democrats and Clinton and how they shut the woods down over some spotted bird. Didn't they know but a lot of good men out of work? He said, I ain't lazy. I never way some men like to If you give me my corks and my steel and my freedom, I'll do the work I know how to do We was up before the bird song We were out before dawn Exhaust and sawdust all day long. Home before supper, put the evening news on. Another round of layoffs, another mill gone. He said, men like to If you give me my corks and my steel and my freedom I'll do the work I know how to do Thing to do 
rocks and my steel and my freedom I'll do the work I know how to do I heard John's son got on with Palco after the fire but old John he didn't so I guess now he's retired Uncle Len's a drunk now I guess he always was That's true But the woods They kept him dry From two until two He said I ain't lazy I never complain Not a day Not a damn day The way some men like to if you give me my corks and my steel and my freedom, I'll do the work I know how to do. Just give me my corks and my steel and my freedom. Give me work I can do. Melissa Ruth in a JPR live session. The song is Logger's Lament. It's from her new record, Bones. You can find it and much more at melissaruthmusic.com. That's her website. And she's joined today by Johnny Leal, who is a life partner and a musical partner. I had some nice guitar work on that tune. In addition to being a, a, a musician, you, uh, you're, which one's your day job? One of them is you're a teacher, and another <laughs> one's you're a musician. It's all about music. Which, uh, tell us about music education and get into that. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, when I was a kid, I had a wonderful flute teacher who, in, in some ways, really, really saved my life. And um, she did something for me that I was inspired to pay forward in some way. And so that's why I went into music education. Um, and uh, Johnny and I wound up in kind of rural, southern, west, southwestern Oregon, uh, teaching in small schools. Um, Johnny teaches uh, pre-K through 12th grade. Um, and I teach 6th through 12th grade band and choir. And, um, yeah, it's just something that... Um, I think it's fair to say we both really care about, um, we feel pretty um, passionate about uh, rural students having opportunities at a high quality music education. And you're working somewhere at the state level to kind of get that to work. Yeah. To happen in more communities. Yeah. What, what's going on with that? So um, I, uh, I am the small schools advocacy chair for the Oregon Music Education Association. And so um, I get the opportunity to meet other music educators from around the state and advocate basically on behalf of, you know, small schools, uh, music educators and their students to say, hey, um, it would be great if we could have, you know, more professional development opportunities for teachers in these circumstances or, you know, what can we do to pre prepare teachers who are going into these small schools um, to be more effective when they get there? 
um, just these kinds of conversations. Um, I'm I'm new to the position and I'm learning a lot. Uh-huh. So, uh, but it's something that I I care about um, equally to actually making music. <laughs> so, oh cool. So yeah. maybe neither is your day job. Yeah, they are kind of interwoven. <laughs> Yeah. It's just what you do. I grew up in a little town from around here in the Rogue Valley, and it, the, it, from junior high through when I graduated high school, there wasn't a music teacher in the district. How, how do you guys get communities to start doing that? I know there's like a lot of money came out of the schools uh, for a long time. I don't know where that is now, but where, what do you do to get that going in some of these communities? That's a great question. I think it depends community to community. I mean, at it certainly has to come from within, you know, if, if parents and and um, kids are like, we want to learn music, we want our kids to learn music. I mean, you know, the kind of starts at the. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So actually, the school that I was in that I'm in, I've been there for 17 years and and for about seven years before I got there, music had been pulled out of the school for a little while. And it was just what she said. There was push to to get it back in yeah it's super important I, I love it and i'm glad there's people like you guys out there trying to bring new generations into it and know what they're doing and and, and uh, you know be musicians we need art that's it <laughs> yes absolutely so what kind of approach do you guys take to get kids into music and teach them what's uh what's what's the key to starting that off i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think the little little kids, you know, a lot of them in these in most uh, schools that do have a music program, like they're required to come and, you know, sing and be in the music room at least once a week. And so I think getting them fired up at a young age is a great start. Um, And then by the time they get to like their mean secondary teachers like me, they have a little spark of joy that, you know, I try to foster (laughs) to the best of my ability. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think that keeping it fun, but rigorous, you know, that all makes a difference. I think in some ways, you know, we live in this culture that's like instant gratification. You know, we're all scrolling and we're all, you know, liking and, you know, whatever. Um, And music is the long game in so many ways. And so I think it's it's also about, you know, getting kids to invest in that. Um, It's not easy at first, um, but you know, that's, that's a life lesson, like investing in, in something you care about. Yeah. Well, we have time for another song. What do you want to wrap up with today? Sure. Let's do the title track, uh, Bones. Go on. Yeah. Melissa Ruth is my guest in a JPR live session today. She's joined by Johnny Leal, her music and life partner. He's playing guitar and uh, this is Bones, title track to the new record. Bones. You were buried inside me a long time ago, so I never went digging for bones. Never went looking for ghosts 
walk alongside me wherever I go. Oh, I never went looking for ghosts. No, I load It was strapped in my back and I was sent down the road Oh, I never sought to carry this load Maybe I Melissa Ruth with the song Bones from the new album Bones in a JPR live session. Joining her on guitar is her husband, Johnny Leal. They stopped by on their way to California, and then you're headed back to Oregon, and they have a show at the Axe and Fiddle on July 15th. That's in Cottage Grove. You can find all things Melissa Ruth at melissaruthmusic.com. Thanks for coming in today, you guys. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. It was lovely. Thank you. JPR Live Sessions are engineered and recorded by John Griffin of Luna Zen Studios. You can find this live session on our website later today and find our podcasts at Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Stick around. Open Air continues in just a moment.